Amen. Amen. Good morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. Very glad you're with us as we continue on this series on recharging. So, we are hoping that you will feel the call to the things that God is commanding, that He is calling, that He's inviting us to, to ride with Him in this great adventure. But if you're going to do that, you've got to be putting something back in the tank. You can't just drive and drive and drive and drive and drive. You need some gas. You need some food. You need something that's making not just your energy level, you know, maintainable, but having your soul not dry up and crust over and harden. You need something that puts the Lord's life in you. And he's given us resources to do that. It's our fault for neglecting those resources. This series is our attempt to remind one another to establish as a culture within the church these practices so that we will be this overflowing group, this group that's learning together how to enjoy the resources from the Lord as we go about the calling of the Lord. Now, we've been talking about all kinds of stuff to this point. We've been talking about how He is our cornerstone and what it is to rely, to put our life on Him. Then we talked about the Word of God, the Scriptures, reading deeply, but also reading widely. Today, we're going to talk about one that's probably the one you think of most when we talk about the things that we do to interact with God, and it's prayer. Now, there's a lot to think about with prayer, because I don't know that we do it very well. I certainly know that we don't do it enough. And I think there's some things that we could pull out from the teaching of Christ, from the, the example that we have in Scripture, to help us to see how to kind of not just unplug that and, and endure it better and understand it more, but to be amazed by what is amazing. Do you understand what prayer is? Prayer is your invitation to speak to God. Why would you be allowed to speak to God? There's important people you can't get to. You can't talk to anybody at Comcast without losing a leg. <laughs> Why would you be allowed to speak to God? Man, the scripture is so clear about who this king is. You know, I like to imagine what it would be like to actually speak to the Queen of England or the King of England and have all the like pageantry and stuff of how you're supposed to go about that and the words that you say, but only the first time and then it shifts to a different one. And, and all of that would be done sort of in fun as an American. But to step before this majesty, to step before the King of Kings, the King whose voice spoke existence into existence. The king whose words, it says when we rebel in Psalm 46, 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, the Lord utters his voice and the earth melts. Would you speak with that voice? Would you speak with that king? How would you go about it? 
God in all of his majesty, God as God, yet speaks to us very tenderly. I wish we had time to to pour through the verses in the Old Testament of the way in which God speaks to rebellious Israel, the way in which God tenderly addresses his people. And yet we have to get a balance here because that tenderness, that accessibility of who God is, isn't all of who God is. His majesty and his holiness is um, mitigated, tempered by his, his mercy and his condescension to come down to us. But assuming the one, you can't miss the other. Part of the reason that we don't pray is because God has become little like us. He's, he, he came in flesh as Jesus to be someone that we could hug and hold and see and understand, someone who goes through the same things we've gone through. When you go through suffering, and the time's right, and we can talk about it, I am going to remind you that Christ has gone through that suffering with you. That God may not explain exactly why that suffering happened to you, but he did go through that same suffering and worse with you, before you, as Christ. What does that mean? It means that God in all of his majesty suddenly becomes something that we can like grab hold of. And yes, of course, we've got all this revelation in scripture and it's giving us these pictures and this understanding of who God is. But it says in Hebrews that that, that final, that clearest, that perfect revelation of who he is, the word that John talks about in John 1, is Christ. And that connection that we have with God through him sort of gives us, again, that sort of tiptoe into how we can relate to him. And so that's what I want to do. I want to listen to Jesus' words this morning. And I want to ask ourselves how it is that we should be praying and hopefully motivate us to begin again to pray, to, to kind of analyze a little bit of why we don't, to look at some structures for how we could and, and then maybe get to a place where we, we actually will. And we're going to break this passage into two pieces and talk about the back half of it next week. Because, I mean, just like all scripture, it, it's just too much. But, but let's look at Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. I'm sorry if I didn't already say that. Matthew 6, 5 through 15. If you have a copy of Scripture, turn or tap your way there. If not, we're going to have those words on the screen for you. Uh, And we'd love to give you a copy of Scripture on the way out. Modern English translation. Let's read this together. This is right in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, it's 5 through 7. It says, putting together of Jesus's teaching in a way that's just really compelling. And, and a lot of the things you've heard from Jesus probably have their source in this Sermon on the Mount. In the middle of it, he's telling us how we should fast. We'll talk about that. How we should pray and how we should give. Let's focus on how we should pray. It says in Matthew 6, verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues. That was the places where the, the Jewish people would gather together, sort of like their churches. And at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they're going to be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. 
Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive, have, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So, there's a lot here. He's making this huge distinction in prayer. Not just prayer publicly, but also prayer privately. And he's talking about the way in which one would pray. Now, obviously, we have men who, who lead, ladies who lead us in prayer from the stage on Sundays when we gather together. But he's talking about your personal, private prayer life. It would happen, and I don't know if this is a cartoon or if this is actually what would happen, but, but some of these religious leaders would go and stand out on the street corners and they would shout out their prayers loudly and eloquently, probably. I mean, why not ornament them, right? And, and make them pretty and, and impressive. But they're doing it for these other people. He's saying, no, no, no. Flip that. You need to be praying alone. But why Alone. What's the big distinction? What's the big lesson to learn here? You need to pray in order to connect with God. Your prayer is about Him, not about your persona in the community. And again, I don't know how many of you do that. I don't know if lunch break you go into the lunch room. <laughs> Shout out your prayers to God before, like, fill us from accounting. You know, like, I know that that's probably not as much of a temptation. But understand the lesson. The lesson is that you be praying to him to be with him. And we have examples all through Scripture. Jesus did it. Luke 5, 15 and 16. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and the great crowds were gathering to hear him to be healed of their infirmities. The, the mission is increasing. The output is increasing. So what does he do? Withdraws to a desolate place and pray. It says places. He would regularly withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would get alone because the point of the prayer was to be with him. The point of the prayer is to endure, to enjoy, to, to peek into something of heaven, like we talked about last week. Heaven is this. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He's going to dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be crying mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And we all say, amen. But not just for the gift of the absence of these bad things. The presence of our uh, relationship, our proximity to God is what heaven is. And Jesus is going, he's engaging in heaven when he goes to these desolate places to pray because he's there not to pray in front of people, but to pray with the Father. Jesus is inviting us to the same thing. Why don't we do it? If you've been a believer for any period of time, you've been challenged to pray. It's been modeled for you. And you maybe even commit to it. 
You're a type A person and you put it in your calendar. You're not a type A person and you just sort of grit and kind of hope that you're going to do it. And you determine, okay, you know, four days a week, we're going to do this, 10 minutes. And you sit and you start praying and it's like 90 seconds and you're out. And the shame of the failure of it means that you just sort of scrap the whole project. Is that you? It's definitely all of us at one point. Maybe you got challenged again, you jumped back in, things started to get a little better, and then they got a little worse again and challenged again, and maybe over time some maturity began to grow. But it, it's difficult to understand why Jesus' example, Jesus' teaching, and this picture of heaven are not enough to incentivize us to be praying regularly, to be praying more and more. I think one of the reasons is that, oh man, prayer does feel like dying. Here's what I mean by that. It's a quote by C.S. Lewis, believe it or not, that, that says something I think is really helpful. He says, now the disquieting thing is not simply that we skimp and begrudge the duty of prayer. The really disquieting thing is that it should have to be numbered among duties at all. We believe we were created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's a quote from the Catechism, West, Westminster Shorter Catechism. It was chief and a man to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What a wonderful word, but it reflects that revelation that we just talked about. And if the few, the very few minutes we now spend on conversation with God are a burden to us rather than a delight, what then? What can be done for or should be done with ooh, a rose tree that dislikes producing roses? Surely it ought to want to. I don't know what rose trees want or don't want, but he's saying that our purpose should be reflected in our desires. Our delight should be reflected in our activity, and it is. What you want to do, you find time to do. Do you pray? Okay, then what does that say about how you think about prayer? Well, I get it, man. And, and again, I think Christ, he's, he's making this very specific distinction between the Pharisee and the rest of us and the way that we should be praying and the way that we're maybe tempted to be praying. When we pray, we often think that we are taking rules that God has given us we're going to exemplify those rules. We're going to do it real well when we're feeling, you know, proud of ourselves. We're going to do it real well. We're going to get on it. We're going to be really impressive with our prayer. And that prayer, that, that obedience, that, that obeyance to those rules means that we elevate ourselves. We put ourselves up, uh, maybe not on God's level, but, you know, give me some time. Maybe I'll get there and eventually get to this place where we are, we are impressive like he is impressive. We become like God. Well, that's the temptation of the enemy from the beginning. We don't pray in order to be impressive, in order to be God. We pray as his children to be with God. Jesus leads to us to repent of this Phariseeism. And not just repenting, but, but to actually be with him. Okay, so let's get that off the table, and then let's start praying again. Uh-oh, then we run into more problems. 
Because you say, no, 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 this isn't about obedience. This isn't about being somebody and being somebody impressive. This really is about connecting with the Lord. So now I'm going to connect with the Lord. I'm going to see this like date night, and it's still hard. Why? Well, date night's not fun if you're hiding something. Date night's really not fun if you didn't hide something well enough. If we're saying that we're relating to God, praise God, what's that relationship like? Now we run into all kinds of new barriers because there's sin in our relationship to God. We've dismissed him. Why why does it feel like dying to pray? I think it's because in that moment when you're taking up your cross and following him, stepping into his presence, you're saying again, God is Father, I am not. God is God. I am not. God's plan for today is what I need to make my plan for today, which means that I have to not do what I was hoping to do today. Do you see? It's stepping again into this position of submission, which we don't want to do. We would much rather be our own kings, our own rulers, our own God. Prayer won't allow that. Yeah, if you don't, you know, you can do it the Pharisee way and, and you end up killing yourself. But, but if you, you go about it his way and see how Jesus' prayer begins, he starts by saying, our Father. The very first word again reiterates, it's not really about you, is it? Our means our. From the very first word that Jesus teaches us to pray, there's a reflection not only on God who is God, but on the the untold millions of people who are his people, that I'm praying among a crowd of people that he has brought to himself. That's not just a blessing, but it takes my mind off myself. It is also, though, a blessing. It's nice to have a full room. It's nice to have multiple services. It's nice when you travel to other parts of the country and you walk into these auditoriums where thousands of Christians join. Why? You have that experience that Elijah had where he thought he was the only one. And the enemy always wants you to get into that box of like, I'm the only one, I'm the only Christian, I have no support, Uh, despair, despair, fear, fear. And then God tells him, no, 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 I have thousands who have never bent the knee to Baal. You don't have any idea how big the work that I'm doing is. And from the first word of the prayer that the Lord teaches us to pray, he's reminding us of the bigness of who he is. And then further just absolutely blowing your mind, he doesn't just say our God or our Yahweh, he says our Father. Pointing out the close relationship that we have with God given us by Christ. And we'll keep talking about that in a second. But think again about what prayer is and think again about who you're speaking to prayer to, that you're speaking to the God of the universe. And yet we call him Father. Tim Keller said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. (laughs) We have that kind of access. And all this is so true, right? If you have kids, they don't care. They don't care what you're doing. They don't care what you got tomorrow. They don't care how well you slept or how well you didn't. 
hey, and then poke, hey, I need. Why? Because they get it. They know who they are and they know who you are. It's not that it's crazy that that's how children relate to parents. It's crazy that that's how God allows us to relate to him. So he begins with this incredible thing. He's teaching us to relate to God and to ask ourselves all day, every day, how we are relating to God. So I want to stop for a second and just talk about how we do actually pray. I mean, we're saying our Father, we're saying how we're not going to do it. But, but one of the ways that I can practically encourage you to go about this prayer and go about the, the kind of regular relating to God in prayer, and we talked about it many times, I think, at Hope Church, but we, we call it a stop exercise. S-T-O-P, four letters. Stop, that you're going to take a moment and stop. You're going to kind of get by yourself as well as possible. And just stop for a second. Take three breaths. That's the T. Take three breaths in, out, in, out, in, out. Three breaths. Then observe. Ask yourself, how am I doing? Ask yourself, how am I feeling? That's kind of a weird thing to do. You think Protestants, people of the book, you know, we've kind of given the boot to emotion. But no. God has given us feelings to tell us how we're doing. You ever driven a really old car and you turn it on and all the little lights come on and you had no idea there were so many warning lights that cars had? There was a time when we were like hoping, like we were trying to run the car all the way to the end of its legs. Like we had a couple more lights. We were hoping we could get all of them before it actually just totally (laughs) seized up. You have painful emotions that God's built as reactions, real legitimate reactions to the things that are going on in your world. There's all kinds of breaks in the system, but if you can see what emotions you've got going on in your world and realize that really you've got a lot of fear in your life, really you've got a lot of anxiety in your life, really you're pretty proud of yourself, then you can proceed to the scripture and allow God to speak into your world. God is your father. He's there to relate to you. Who are you? How are you feeling? Don't step into those moments of prayer assuming that you're going to put on this sort of performance for the Father and go through your your grand obedience of prayer. Come to Him as you really are and ask yourself who you really are, how you really are right now. And then you apply the Scripture to that. It's a conversation. You say, well, how does God speak to me? He has spoken to us in Scripture. There's a reason the first three sermons in this series were about Bible. You need Bible in there to know how God is talking to you, how he's responding to you. If you say to yourself, I'm feeling a lot of fear, well, then Bible steps in and says, God who is majestic, God who makes the mountains flee like the rams, he is my protector. So Zion dwells secure. You can say that if you know that because you've been reading. He speaks back to you. You don't let your feelings rule you, but they let you point you to to who you really are and how you're really acting before Him. These negative emotions are going to help you to go to God as your God, but these positive emotions are also going to help you because you're going to realize that you don't really feel like you should feel. The back half of this uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount prayer, this this, uh, Lord's Prayer that we have in Matthew 6, 5, it gives us repentance. So we're going to talk about next week. (laughs) come back. But 
but you should be feeling that way. And he guides you to understand both how you, how you should address the negative emotions that you have, but also how you should be feeling positive emotions, where they should be coming from. And if they're not coming from those things, who God is, the promises he's given, which are an untold treasury, uh, wonders old and new, Instead, I feel confident about today because I think I'm going to perform well. I feel confident about today because I'm going to be able to hide and enjoy my pleasures. I feel confident about today because I'm really going to smoke that dude. Whatever it is. So you go to the scripture. You work. You see. God opens your eyes. You stand by him and are moved in him. And how do you do that? Well, you can do that because the only reason we can pray at all is the cross that you're coming to him, that he is your father. Though he's the father in heaven, though he's the, the God whom no one has ever seen, he dwells in unapproachable light, it says in 1 Timothy 6. And he's talking about all this other stuff. And just on the way, he says something about the Lord, the sovereign, the, the blessed and only sovereign, king of kings, lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen nor can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That king, that heavenly father, you are allowed to pray to him for one reason. So we talked about last week, the whole of the scripture preaching this one message with really the one word, Jesus. That you don't deserve to be around him. You shouldn't. Be near him, but because you have sinned, like, like really, really broken his law. I mean, David says it every week that we are broken people, and I need to hear that every single week. I need to be reminded, as if my life didn't already remind me, but I need to be reminded that we are broken people, meaning that the thing that we're coming here to do at Hope Church is to be put back together by this cross. The cross that asserts, I'm way worse than I knew that I was. Oh, okay, I'm broken. How do I fix it? Oh, I owe you some money? Oh, man, I'm embarrassed. Okay, how much do I owe you? And then he shows you the cross. And in the cross, you see that what you owe God or the offense that you have against God, the rebellion that you've done against God can only be paid with your death. It's capital. It can only be cleaned if Something like the eternal Son of God endures all of the punishment that you deserve. You see who you really are in the cross. But because he did it, you also see the love that God has for you. It's only in Christianity that you can put both of those things together. An honest admission of who you are in the humble state that you should constantly be adjusting down to, not making yourself less and less. Whoa, whoa, actually, yeah, making yourself less and less. He must increase and I must decrease, seeing myself as less and less in order to see God as greater and greater and then watching as God brings me to himself. He loves me so much that he made me his son, his daughter. Hallowed be your name. That next phrase is just saying, Lord, in that goodness, in the goodness of who you are, may you be greater and greater and greater, such that your kingdom comes and your will is done. Philippians 2 says, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's what we're fighting for. That's what we're hoping for. We're waiting for that moment. We're praying for that moment when all of the universe gets put back into alignment and submission to and love of, worship of the Father. That's why we have this this prayer that the kingdom will come, the will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that all the time. And in Matthew, the beginning of Matthew, they're praying it because Jesus taught them to pray it. And, you know, they're kind of hoping that it's going to be some sort of political thing. Then you get to the end of Matthew and you realize what Jesus has really commanded this to be. You get to the end of Matthew and you see that his kingdom coming, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven looks like that great commission where Jesus says to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That that's what we're praying for. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we want to see. Do you? Really, do you? It's all connected. If you don't, can I tell you what might be wrong with your prayer life? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I want this to happen. Sure. I hope people are doing that. But really what I'd love to do today is fill in the blank. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I want people to be Christians. Great. Who do we write the check to? Cool. Okay. Check written. Now we can get back to what I really hope will happen. We can get back to the work that I really want to get after. Do you see the problem? So Jesus is teaching us to pray this prayer. And I don't know about what you think about prayers that are pre-written, but, you know, from Jesus, hopefully it's okay, to, to just pray through this Lord's Prayer. Memorize it. It doesn't take long. To put it in your head, put it in your heart. And if you don't know what to pray, just start with this. If you do know what to pray, start with this. And watch as God tunes your heart to sing His praise. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I pray that people would be willing to invest the time that it takes to to learn to pray, to connect the repentance and the praise that goes into a real, authentic, growing prayer life with that gospel that says that you forgive us and you love us. You forgive us of a sin that's way greater than we ever thought possible, and you love us with a love that is way bigger than we even have the capacity to process. Lord, fill your people with longing to be in your presence. Teach us to practice heaven now as we pray. We love you, sir. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.